Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. may be seated. A new church year has begun, and we are blessed yet again to enter this new church year by gathering into God's house to receive the gifts of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When a new year begins, it is good to reflect on the year that has passed and also to look forward with anticipation of the things that are now beginning in the new year. As we do so, we need to continually examine ourselves, both as individual Christians, saints, holy ones whom God has redeemed by his blood, and also collectively as a congregation, a family, united together by grace through faith in Christ, members of his body. And as we examine ourselves individually or as co collectively as a congregation, we are to ask ourselves if we are beholding our king and in this new church year, if he should really enter a new year yet again with us. As a congregation, we may ask, have we made visitors feel welcome and loved? Have we provided thorough and excellent instruction of the Christian faith to our children? Have we improved in our efforts to reach the lost, to teach the baptized of all ages, and to grow together in the saving doctrine of Christ? Are we as a congregation singing more boldly than ever? Are we thankful for the pure word and the right administration of the sacraments which we enjoy and God has blessed in our midst? Are we ready to do as God has called for us to do, and that is to contend for the truth, for this is the loving thing? And are we prepared to exercise church discipline on those who refuse to repent and amend their ways? Are we prepared to collectively forgive the penitent who has returned from prodigal living, never holding forgiven sins against that penitent sinner ever again? So those are things for us to consider as a congregation. As an individual, we ought to be asking ourselves, have I grown in Christ this past year? Did I spend more time in my Bible this year than I did in the previous year? Have I worked to be reconciled with those whom I have sinned against? Have I treasured Holy Communion, seeking to come to the Lord's altar frequently 
and with a repentant heart? Have I learned more biblical teachings than I have forgotten? Have I rejoiced in hearing the word of God? Have I rejoiced in singing this word of God? How am I working to foster peace in my church, fidelity to God's word and faithfulness within my congregation? Have I been volunteering at my church? Have I shown love toward my neighbors and friends by telling them about Jesus and inviting them with me to come and hear and behold our Savior in the divine service? Have I been a good steward, giving sacrificially back to Christ of my time and talents and my treasures? There's obviously many more questions that we can ask ourselves in self-examination. And as we consider our God-given places within our congregation. And from these questions, it ought to be clear to each and every one of us that there's much reason for us to get on our knees in repentance before God pleading guilty of our shortcomings and our failings. If God were to grade us on these various things, what would our perfect Father assign to us? What grades would he give us? And what would it mean if it's anything less than perfection? God, of course, does call on us to be perfect. Jesus himself said, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we ought to know by now that anything less than that requires forgiveness. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God. That's why he sent his Son to enter Jerusalem so that Jesus can serve as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, so that he can set aright all that we have done amiss. And so we rejoice that God is merciful, allowing us to begin this new church year with us and for us. Jesus has again made his entrance among us. He comes as our King and Savior, and he comes to bless us. As Zechariah the prophet had prophesied, and Matthew commented in today's gospel, Behold, your King is coming to you. And so as we enter this new church here with Christ, I want you my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to behold your King who comes to you. There are so many distractions that seek to prevent us from beholding our King. So many things that busy us. So many things even in God's word that our flesh doesn't want to hear and recoils at which then makes us think that we shouldn't have to behold our king. Parents often don't want to bring their children to church because 
They don't see their children sitting still. And sometimes parents go home having heard very little. The temptation is to give in and stop coming. But we must fight against our temptations and come to church as a family, even if it seems like every passing minute is a struggle. For in God's house, you are receiving the absolution. You hear the saving word of God, even if it's bits and pieces of it from the distractions. We go still to the Lord's altar. We pray and we can sing the praises of God. Some fail to make it to God's house and behold their king because they have made themselves so distracted or busied with their work or volunteer activities, their hobbies, their outdoor fun, their recreation, sleep, and a whole host of other distractions. And while many of these things are certainly blessings of God that we are welcomed to enjoy, they must not impede on the opportunity that God gives to us each week to behold our King. So why? Why behold our King? Why the joy that was expressed by those many saints who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as their King? Well, first and foremost, he is our Savior who died for us, who rose for us, who loves us, who reconciles us to our Father in our heaven. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, demonstrating his kingly office so that he could go and do what his priestly office requires of him, and that is to give himself up on the cross to be offered as a pure sacrifice for the sins of the world so that his blood would be shed that we may be atoned of all that we have done wrong. Through Christ offering himself as the great high priest, he cancels all our sin out so that we are no longer held accountable for the many sins that we have committed but Jesus was in our place as he suffered the very wrath of God for it. He died so that we might live. He rose so that we too can receive the hope and the promise of everlasting life and salvation so that we will rise and live and be with our Lord and behold him. When we go to be with the Lord, especially when Jesus returns and raises us and all the dead and gives to us and all believers in Christ's perfect bodies, we will behold our King with our own eyes. We shall see God and we will be in his presence not to die, but to live. And if our desire is to behold our King when we are in heaven, to go there and be with the Lord, our desire then when we are here in this fallen world is the same. To behold our King. After all, if we want to be in his near, nearer presence upon death, 
do we not also want to be in his presence in this life? And so we, as God's redeemed and restored children, gather in his house to behold him. No, we do not see him as the people did when Jesus was physically there sitting on a donkey and they were giving him that royal treatment entering into Jerusalem. That then makes us sometimes conclude that we can experience Jesus just as much out in nature as when we are here. That we can experience Jesus when we're on the deer stand as much as we can when we are in this house. But no, my friends, it is not the same. For Jesus, he comes to us through his word and through his sacraments. He does not visit us through nature, though through nature we can see God's splendor and his greatness but we can also see a glimpse of the wrath of God in nature. For the cat does not care for the mouse as it plays with it, bringing about its death. The tree does not care if it falls on you, nor does the water care if it swallows you up and you cannot breathe anymore. But in the house of God, when you hear his word, you are met with the presence of God in a way in which he grants you his peace and he showers upon you his love. That Jesus dwells in our hearts only occurs when faith is present in us. And the Holy Spirit works faith only in us through the word and as he feeds us his body and blood in the sacrament. He does not work faith in us through our wishes or our wants. We can wish and want that our stomachs are full, all we want. But if we do not open our mouths to eat and to drink, we will starve to death. And in the same way, our souls cannot live in the Christian faith unless it is nourished by God's word, with the Holy Spirit being at work through that word. And so as we hear the word of Christ, as we gather in his house, as we behold our king, the Holy Spirit is present to bless us with a growing faith, and Christ Jesus himself is truly present among us. When someone is brought to the baptismal font, he is united to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus. The very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ is then covering the baptized. And that means that you as a Christian, as one redeemed by Christ and having been added to his family and sustained by the Holy Spirit through the word, you too continue to be covered with the very righteousness of Jesus Behold your king, and when you come forward to the Lord's altar, you behold your king. You are not eating mere bread and drinking mere wine as many Protestants would have you believe, 
But instead, our risen and ascended Lord comes among us, and he unites his body to the bread. He unites his blood to the wine. And so when you eat the bread, you are eating the true body of Jesus. And when you, when you drink the wine, you are drinking the very blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You are coming into his presence. He is coming into your presence. And he blesses you in the sacrament. Behold your king. Because Jesus comes into your presence, you respond as the crowds did when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. The crowds gave Jesus that royal treatment, putting down their cloaks and branches before him, singing their praises with much joy and rejoicing. Consider how, much, how joyful that day was for that crowd. And there is no reason to have any less joy when we are here in God's house since that same Jesus is coming into our presence with his blessings. The crowd sang, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And with joy, we sing these very words in the Sanctus as we prepare to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. Jesus made his entrance among his people in Jerusalem to the singing of the people. And Jesus makes his entrance among us in the sacrament, even as we sing the same words. And because Jesus continues to be in our presence throughout the entire service, we as God's people sing in great joy our hymns and liturgy, we open our mouths and use our God-given lips to sing his praises. The song that was sung on Palm Sunday was both a confession and a prayer. They confessed Jesus as their Lord, David's great son who would save them, which is the meaning of Hosanna, save now, save us now. Their song was also a prayer, for they were requesting that Jesus David's son, the anointed one, the Messiah who was promised from years ago, would save them. And when we sing, we too are confessing the truth of God's word. We are engaging in prayer. Some of our hymns in their entirety are prayers. Other hymns are songs of thankfulness and praise. Many of our hymns simply teach in memorable ways, poetic ways, the truth that is found in the scriptures. The church's song is a confession of the Christian faith, and because this is such a treasure, we sing. One thing that I think we can consider this past year to look back at is the rebuilding of our pipe organ. We had an instrument that had carried us along with the gift of music for the last 44 years as we sang the Lord's praises. The instrumentation used in the church should not only give us a sense of joy, but it should also encourage us to sing. Our rebuilt pipe organ with the much greater variety of sounds and happier tones certainly helps with that. As you sing, notice how the organ is played differently for different stanzas. 
When things like judgment are brought up, you sometimes hear some stranger sounds coming from the organ, and that's intentional. When doxological stanzas are sung, the organ tends to be louder and more festive and joyful as we give our praises to God, our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You heard that really festive introduction to our hymn of the day, teaching you that these words are significant, not to be ignored, as we pray that the Savior of the nations, Jesus Christ, would come. And so, what we sing impacts what is played and how it is played. The changes that we hear are not only to delight the ear, but above all, are to accent and highlight the text that we are singing, that we are confessing, that we are praying. And the point of it all is to draw us into the text of the hymns as we behold our King through his word. And so, my friends, sing boldly as you behold your King who comes to you and grants you the marvelous gift of salvation. Throughout this year, recognize that as you gather, Christ is coming to meet you with his gifts. He is blessing you with forgiveness. You are coming before his presence. Behold your King. Have a blessed Advent. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Please rise as we sing, What Shall I Render to the Lord? Mm -hmm.